punch really, really hard, and they execute the system, and that's what it's all about. Yes, there sir. Trust. He's pretty big, big trust. trust. Big, big trust, trust. Hey, yes, sir. <laughs> right on cue. Hey, right on cue. Hey, I, let me. Boys are back in town. It is the Jumbo Set podcast presented by the XF52 Podcast Network, presented by Jimmy's Famous Seafood. My name is Jake Luke, and I'm joined on my screen by Spencer Nathaniel Schultz. How's it going, sir? It's going quite well. The big boys are grilling on the roof. We are super fired up. Like we told you, if you have been following along throughout us, disenfranchising from Baltimore beatdown when they close down the podcast. We end up joining the Exit 52 team. We've been having a blast all summer. Jake, you and I took it easy for a while. We we hit the draft. Lamar Jackson signs his extension. We hit on all of that and then kind of just pumped the brakes. You and I decided to chill for a little bit. We wanted to recalibrate, think about our next move. And obviously had so many listeners reach out, hey, you know, Exit 52 is great. We would love to hear you and Jake do your normal thing get back to your normal thing a little bit. So here we are, the Jumbo Set, Jake and Spencer Show. Jake came up with the name. I loved it so, so, so much. So we're fired up. The Jumbo Set, you guys are going to be able to find all of our Ravens-centric Exit 52. Jake and Spencer, plus Brian will be there. Maybe Eric. Taylor definitely will be on here talking Ravens, talking football, getting back to a little bit like the, th- the way things were. And I think it's super fun to, to pump out the Jumbo Set Love the name. I'm going to say it 50,000 million times throughout the course of, of this thing running and going again. But I just I love that you and I, Jake, we started with Baltimore Beatdown. We started kind of right alongside Lamar Jackson's time as a starter. 2019, he takes over the full-time reins. You and I went to a bunch of training camp practices and got fired up for that team. Watched that magical kind of season and the disappointment at the end of the year and Lamar Jackson winning the first MVP in Ravens history. Lo and behold, we shuffle on into another era. Lamar Jackson signs an extension and we have a new show, the jumbo set. So we're super fired up. We feel good. We feel great. We've been golfing. We've been going to the beach. We've been hitting the old novelty drinks all out and about, but we're excited for football season. Football's in the air. The Ravens are in training camp and I'm excited to be back on this wagon with you and ready to to get back to normalcy to what we have been doing for the last half decade here, my friend. Yeah, man. It feels like a little bit of a uh, back to school situation. Kind of feel like I should be in the, the aisles at Target somewhere, maybe like a Jackson holiday. Shout out to Eric. I should be uh, doing some back to school supply shopping for uh, AP bio class and things of that nature. But yeah, no, it's, uh, it's going to be fun. I think we always wanted to get back into doing deep dive type of Raven stuff, which is pretty much what this is going to be. Still going to be plenty of cross pollination between uh, us and the uh, regular crew. Uh, we're still going to be hopping on a bunch of their episodes we told brian he's probably going to be having to hop on here a good bit for us to uh, swap in and out whenever we're busy so going to be a a lot of teamwork uh, that's still getting going to be required and uh, we're really looking forward to that Uh, but yeah looking forward to getting back to uh getting back in the lab here as you were kind of saying it had been a while we had been teasing on twitter for going back months at this point like you know something's coming we'll we'll figure something out and kind of get back to our regular rhythm but uh, we did want to take it a little bit easy for a while there's been uh obviously a lot going on in the world and everything like that and uh, we have uh lives and everything that we have things going on uh with that and the football season is such a freaking grind man i mean even like when 
you're just doing it part-time like we are, it's still kind of a big time commitment to, you know, give up two of your weeknights or weekend nights sometimes uh, to, you know, dedicate, and even more than that at times to dedicate to uh, to podcasting. You know, we're, we're not saying that we're heroes. We're just saying that it can be a little bit of a time commitment. We might be heroes, who knows? But yeah, a little bit of a time commitment at times. And, uh, but I, I don't know, that can be a good thing. And it was time for us to get back on the horse. So here we are, we're back on the horse. We're doing the damn thing, and uh, we're very excited about it. And it is an interesting little time capstone there where, like you said, we started out at the beginning ostensibly of the Lamar Jackson era. He had been there for a year, but uh, we took a, we took the reins at Beatdown for the podcast when he became the starter, and now he has been re-signed, and he's going to be the guy for the next five years. And there's going to be a lot of flock going on, and there's going to be a lot of jumbo sets going on. I knew you would love the name, and I feel like the Ravens are probably one of the few teams in the league that still run the jumbo set like – Occasionally, They did against the Chiefs to get the win that one time. I'm trying to think of some others, but it feels like they, they kind of whip it out every now and then, and they're probably one of the only teams, really. They definitely do. The elephant package, the rhino package, the jumbo set, the big boys. We got to get Daniel Falele. The football this year, a major goal, but the jumbo set, man, it's big boy Ravens coverage and a couple big boys coming to you live. So I, I love it. I'm super excited, and we can uh, we can hop on in a little bit, but you guys can expect to see this. Again, if you're a little cross-wired, it's going to be just under the Exit 52 podcast channel, and you'll see the Jumbo Set, or TJS, on your feed, and that's how you'll know. You're getting that purple Ravens coverage, that football coverage, and that's how we'll be splitting it up. So with that, my friend, I guess we can hop on into it. Yeah, and I guess the first thing we had written down here, just kind of a general state of the Ravens, where you're at with the team, your thoughts on the team as training camp is opening is sort of how we phrased it. Uh, like we said, it has been a little bit of wa- little while since we really like dove deep into them. So just general thoughts on where you're at with this team right now, because we've been doing a lot of heavy-hitting Orioles stuff that's going to continue, but uh, as the uh, <laughs> the Hard Knocks trailers start to filter out, you get the, uh, the white painted lines on the field and the sprinkler heads start going, where are you at with the Baltimore Ravens right now? I know you're so fired up to see how Aaron Rodgers. It's just going to be so. Dodges, I mean, duck dip dives and dodges. You, you, you want to talk about deep dives? I mean, hard knocks. Talk about just getting super nitty gritty. Nothing surface level at all going on there. So I'm sure we'll get more into that. But go ahead. It, it was so close to dying, so close to dying. But I feel like this this Jets team is a bunch of excitement. Aaron Rodgers is just the best guy in the world taking a big take. It shouldn't die. Like, it, it, should NFL n- history. it should not die, but there needs to be, like, they've got to sell me on this season because that Raiders year, I think that might have been our first year, maybe our second year when Antonio Brown was losing his mind. Like, that should have been the best season of Hard Knocks ever, and they just got nothing out of it. Like, give me something this year. Show me something. Yeah, teams just don't. It's weird. It's like the, the corporate corporatization of football and the franchise kind of uh, cookie cutterness of football. They don't want to show their true personality as much. And the players kind of do on social media, but they, they half of them don't run their accounts, all that stuff. So just the direction our society is headed into. And I guess this year, as we get into the Ravens, the general feeling of the Ravens as they pick things up is of course, excitement. It's a feeling of relaxation, but again, this team doesn't, have anyone who's won a Super Bowl other than Justin Tucker, if I'm not mistaken, maybe somebody, Melvin Gordon won a Super Bowl, uh, maybe Josh and he, Johnson. He was very clear how much he contributed to that team too. Exactly. Josh Johnson maybe has a Super Bowl ring. Um, <laughs> other than that, they don't, they don't even, I don't, I don't know how many of the guys, how many of these guys have even played in Odell. a Super Bowl? Odell. Odell. Oh, well, true. Duh. There you go. You get one. Um, Aguilar, I guess, as well as won a Super Bowl. So they've got a little a little bit maybe more than I realized at first. But still, 
this team, this iteration of the Ravens, the guys that have been here for a few years, Mark Andrews, Lamar Jackson, Ronnie Stanley, we can throw a Zeitler in there. We can throw a Matt Abike, a Michael Pierce, uh, you know, a Roquan Smith, a Patrick Queen, um, all these guys. Marcus Williams has played in some playoff games, but they haven't done it. They haven't achieved the kind of solidification that they are the class of the AFC that they were and are supposed to be for so long. And I think with everything quieted down, you can see Lamar Jackson as he's floating through his media presence and everything. Last year, it was so guarded and so hush-hush, and he was you know, shuffled in and out and made available. And every other question, if not more than that, was regarding his contract. So that veil's been lifted. Now there's just really no time for excuses. Harbaugh goes out, brings in Todd Munkin, who feels like, a really nice fitting glove of what they needed and someone that has a track history of adapting to his personnel. Um, the Ravens are going to run play action. They are going to run the ball. They are going to push the ball downfield. Those are John Harbaugh's guiding principles. And I'm curious to see how Munkin bends to this iteration of it. But to me, this is John Harbaugh's I, like I'm not going to go into the hot seat direction at all. I don't feel that way. I feel like he's done so much, harbored so much, navigated some really uneasy waters for Bashadi, especially the last two years here. And, uh, you know, getting into the playoffs last year, still doing it, being competitive in that wild card game. You know, while you might not think that's much, it was a lot better than the year before and what it could have been and, and navigating a, a rocky ship with Lamar Jackson injured again and all that stuff. But to me, this is like John Harbaugh's legacy year are you an all-time great? Like, can you win a couple playoff games? Can you return the ship back into steady waters and coast through the regular season a little bit, start out eight and three, nine and two, 10 and four, whatever, ease into the playoffs, win another division, go push into playoff games and, and win a couple, God forbid. So with that, um, I, th I feel like this is John Harbaugh's year to prove something in terms of his legacy. Is, is he able to get a team that for all intents and purposes, of course, health can change. Of course, variables will arise. You know, paper champions are paper champions. Roquan Smith talking about that in an interview this week. But can he get it going? Can he outclass, outcoach, outman Andy Reid or the, you know, other – teams that are on the rise, the Jaguars, Doug Peterson down there, they're probably going to make some noise this year. So I think it's a huge opportunity for Harbaugh to kind of finally have a little bit of a vacuum for the first time in a few years since really probably the 2020 offseason uh, before kind of Ronnie Stanley gets hurt and some things go awry, but he's, he's in a vacuum right now. Can you operate in that vacuum that you've desired and do what you're supposed to do? Are you a great coach or so many detractors, especially the last couple of years, he's riding Lamar Jackson's coattails. He rides Ray Lewis and Ed Reed's coattails. I mean, people say Belichick rides Tom Brady's, whatever. But I think it's time for John. He's he's in a new point in his career. The Lamar Jackson contract saga is behind us. And if health is permitting, there's no excuse for this team not to look like a cornerstone, classy, classic franchise that – has won so many games. They have like the fourth highest win percentage in NFL history. Can you go do it? It's time. Time to get this ship where it was supposed to be a couple of years ago and move forward and, and usher in this next era that we mentioned. Yeah, like show us that the last couple of years, the floor you can always count on. Show us that you are the bedrock upon this which this foundation is built and that 
they can rely on that and then they can go and spend a little bit on the credit card with an Odell Beckham. They can opay, overpay for that guy. They can maybe overinvest in the position with a Nelson Aguilar and then tripling down with a Zay Flowers in the first round. Prove to us that you're going to be the guy to lead this franchise into the future. Because as I look at it, you have the future in terms of a roster laid out in front of you right now. And I think part of that also goes into the Todd Monken situation. Is this going to be the offense that everyone's saying it's going to be? A lot of people, a lot of ball knowers, a lot of uh, people that maybe come down on that analytical side, they all really seem to like him. They seem to really like what he did at Georgia. They even like what he did in the NFL when he maybe wasn't as successful at certain times. So is he going to be the guy for this offense that ostensibly has all the pieces that is completely fully stocked at wide receiver for the first time and probably ever he got some issues going on at running back. I totally understand that, but you know, you got to figure it out there, especially because you have a strong offensive line. You have the quarterback locked up. There is no dark cloud hanging over this organization. And I think literally going back to like the more meta conversation we were having, I think you and I were kind of getting sick of covering this team a little bit because of that very situation. And now it's over. And now I'm, I personally am excited to get back to doing this. And I think they are showing a little bit more excitement as well. We saw Lamar Jackson at the podium. Uh, I think it was yesterday. And he had a smile on his face in front of the media for the first time in probably a freaking year, I can remember. Like, it just, it seemed like he, the guy was completely gassed. I think he was just so tired of dealing with all that stuff. And it could probably go into a larger conversation of, you know, maybe we could have just gotten this done um, earlier and maybe saved everyone a lot of trouble, but he made himself some more money in the process. So that's okay. It led to a little bit of a lost season as far as 2022 is concerned, in my opinion. But I don't know. He got his money. He's locked in. The rest of his team is locked in around him. They seem to really want to try and make this thing work, not just in terms of going and maybe winning a playoff game or winning a division. They want to win a Super Bowl with this guy, and they've got the pieces to do so, and I'm as big a John Harbaugh guy as anyone, but it's all there in front of you now. You you just got to go and execute. Like, the ball's on the tee. You got to go hit a good drive, and I don't know. I'm, I'm excited to see if he can do it. I think he's, you know, obviously done it before. He seems to operate better when his back is against the wall a little bit. And I don't know if there's a ton of adversity or whatever you want to talk about um, that he's dealing with that he can maybe rally the troops against, but maybe sometimes it doesn't have to be that way. Maybe just sometimes say like, Hey, we've got everything we need. Let's just go and do what we got to do. Do our job to quote another uh, famous NFL coach and uh, everything will be fine. So yeah, it's, it's an exciting time. But to your point, I'm at the same spot where it's like, it's time to show me something like there, there are real expectations here. Like there's no excuses. Let's go get this thing done. Very much so, not even to be cutesy. Like it's it's kind of like that 2006 season. It feels like a little bit. I was just thinking that, yeah. Everything's lined up. You've got answers all around the defense. I mean, defensively, <laughs> while they don't have, and, and we'll get into some deeper dives. We're gonna have Cole Jackson on, of course, to to get into some some really really deep dives of the roster and expectations. We'll do our normal statistical predictions, record predictions, all that stuff before the season starts we like to line that up right ahead of the season typically but they have all the toys you you go look at roquan smith kyle hamilton patrick queen marlon humphrey marcus williams those players on this defense should be impact turnover inducing game winning type of players defensively you have not to mention mike mcdonald who again i think is really from last year one of the under heralded stories of a first time NFL coordinator who had one previous year of coordinator experience in his life. He's in his early thirties and how well he adjusted in the second half. Of course, they did have a little bit of a cupcake schedule, but able to go make the Bengals work for it a couple times, uh, three times, really. I mean, held them in, in relative check compared to how the Bengals performed against other teams. And this right sauce 
they should have, they do have a couple areas, you know, the pass rush might end up being a little underwhelming. A lot of guys are proje- are projections right now. Adafi Owe, Ojabo, um, you know, Ty's Bowser dealing with some, some nicks and bruises and his knees banged up right now. But there's, again, not that excuse. So can you be a regular season champ, a paper champ, so to speak, and then go look like a well-equipped team and I think if not, you know, I, I don't think it's the hot seat. John's been here for so long, but if they do have a nice season, go lose in a playoff game, it's like, when do you get to that Doug Peterson kind of point or that point we saw with Brian Billick or so many other coaches, Andy Reid in Philadelphia? All right, I'm sure he'll get another job. All right, I'm sure that you know plenty of teams would love to have, it, have him, but the Ravens kind of have this expectation. They want to win a Super Bowl, you know, every, every 10, 15 years. That's how it paced out over the beginning of this franchise, and if you can't start to really make that push here, then maybe it's time to look to another direction. Maybe even a Mike McDonald, maybe even, I wouldn't say Todd Munkin yet, but uh, in another direction, so to speak. So curious, curious, curious to see how that plays out. I will say my, my prediction for this season, I do keep having the summoning feeling that the Ravens and the chiefs will meet in the playoffs for the first time in the Lamar Jackson, Patrick Holmes era, Mahomes era. And that's my, little celestial spiritual fantasy that I keep thinking about and has been growing stronger and stronger. Like a little bit of a rivalry going on. Mahomes handled Lamar a couple times in that 2021 season. Lamar able to get Mahomes back. Let's go see a playoff game between those two guys. I think they're headed towards that path. So uh, this team, you know, somewhat healthy. Nick Moore goes down long snapper. Hate to see it. Here's Achilles. They go sign. Uh, Tyler Ott, who has been the Seahawks long snapper. I, I trust the Ravens to be aware of who exists in the uh, the universe, the cinematic universe of kickers and long snappers and punters about as well, if not better than everyone else in the NFL. So hopefully they're okay there, but let's get through this training camp easily. Uh, we do see Kyle Van Noy, who they've been flirting with. They brought him in. He goes and says, yeah, the Ravens conditioning test wasn't that bad. That was, uh, that was like a quote from man stabbed. What are you going to do? Stab me situation. Exactly. And Van Noy's like, yeah, that wasn't that bad. Judon goes, what are you talking about? Matt Judon quote tweets. It says, what the hell are you talking about? Nobody does that for fun. But then we see Harbaugh or the Ravens announced, or maybe it was, I think actually Harbaugh just said in a press conference and the Ravens posted it that everybody passed the conditioning test. I feel like they made it easier. I feel like they're taking it a little bit easier. I feel like they're trying to go a little bit more in the, philosophical direction maybe this summer than in the intensity of a typical John Harbaugh training camp that that's my sneaking suspicion I'm going to try and get out to a couple practices probably I don't know if I have it in me to really do a full full uh, training camp regimen like I did a couple years ago for a couple summers but I'm just curious curious how Harbaugh moves forward and this Ravens team moves forward now that they're supposed to yeah it's uh all of it's very interesting. I mean, and like, I guess getting into a little bit, and we can get into this more, but where are you at in terms of confidence level that, because I feel like the defense is going to be in a good spot no matter what. I just feel like they they have the pedigree there. They have all the horses. Where are you at in terms of like, if one guy on this offense, one key guy goes down, where are you at in terms of talent in their ability to bounce back as well as schematics in their ability to bounce back? Are they going to be able to scheme around that a little bit more? Because I think that was a big issue with Roman. Like, guys were getting hurt on this offense more than maybe Roman was getting credit for, and he was he was having to do a lot of shuffling around. I'm personally a little bit afraid of that. Where are you? All right, in that direction. Like, I think, let's say, 
we look at I'm looking at the Baltimore Ravens just depth chart on ESPN and it's not, you know, finalized in any way, shape, or form. But let's just hypothetically say that they just line up like this right now. Who knows what's gonna happen? But let's say J.K. Dobbins and Rashad Bateman are done for the year again somehow. Leaves you with Gus Edwards as your starting back. You got Melvin Gordon, Justice Hill. Uh, they've got a back out of Keaton Mitchell out of ECU as a UDFA, maybe. Who who knows? Then that would leave you with Odell Beckham, Zay Flowers, Devin Duvernay, Nelson Aguilar. They've got Laquan Treadwell, Tyler, Tylen Wallace, James Prochet, Makai Polk, all those guys fighting for, for a final spot there. Dante Dimas Jr., uh, Shamar Bridges, all of them. So to me, really just I don't, give Lamar Jackson a good line. Like as long as their line stays healthy, I think they're fine. The competition at left guard between um, – Masalela, I don't even know how to say his name yet, honestly, but him, Cleveland, Simpson, that's really where it's at right now. You've got McCary as the swing man there. So Morgan Moses goes down, not the end of the world. McCary can go make sure you're protected. Ronnie Stanley misses some time. McCary can give you some protection there. Uh, so I think the offensive line is deep enough for this offense to go as far as Lamar Jackson can. And I mean, I wouldn't be shocked. We'll probably see a game where the receiving rotation is like Flowers, Aguilar, and Duvernay, and then like Wallace, Treadwell, Prochet, or something like that, meaning that Odell and Bateman are both out. Like, that's probably going to happen. I'm not counting on Rashad Bateman and Odell Beckham to come close to playing 34 cumulative regular season games between the two of them. That's not going to happen. I really like Nelson Aguilar as that exact reason. Someone who has taken consistent starter snaps for six, seven, eight years. I think he's going to be competent. I think he's going to catch 30, 40, 50 passes, move the chains, have a couple, you know, deep busted coverage things, catch a touchdown here or two in the, you know, goal to go area, things of that nature. So I feel okay. I mean, Isaiah likely Charlie Kohler, Mark Andrews haven't brought those guys up. They're fine. Those guys are going to rock and roll. Like that's what's going to make it more weaponized. And I think likely in a Munkin offense that was able to use bigger bodies so successfully in Tampa in at Georgia, I should say, will be able to to get a ton of use out of those three. So I'm looking forward to seeing what those tight ends can do. And again, those tight ends in a more spread offense, they can operate. They can give you multiplicity. You can still run the ball, spread things out. Lamar Jackson, I, I am truly curious to see. Obviously, Lamar Jackson's impact is substantial on your ability to run the football, whether that's slowing down defensive ends or an outside linebackers, whether it's making middle linebackers as well, more hesitant, whether it is, um, you know, scrambling with the football play action, all of those things. I feel like the Lamar Jackson impact is huge, but I am curious to see Munkin had a really outstanding run game at Georgia, but he also had a really outstanding talent pool to work with there. Their offensive lines ridiculous has first rounders. They have some of the best running backs in the country. They have awesome receivers to spread things out. They do have great blocking tight ends. So in, in a bully's world, you know, might have been a little easier. Um, likes to run a lot of inside zone, zone concepts, that kind of stuff. But just curious to see where the run game goes post-Roman. And, of course, how much of Roman's gap scheme they retain. How much gap option run game do they retain from the veers and the bashes and all of that kind of good stuff. So with this team getting banged up, they, they're going to. Every team does. So, again, take out, let's say take out Odell, Bateman, and Dobbins. I think we will probably see that two times this year. No Odell, no Bateman, no Dobbins. Maybe not all at once, but probably. Like, Bateman's coming off of Liz Frank. Odell doesn't have a knee. And 
then you're still okay. Like, I think you're still okay. But I'm just curious to see with Flowers versus a Bateman, they do have Duvernay, who was productive last year. Like, this offense could open up for Devin Duvernay so much in the past game, being more spread out, utilizing him in some more ways, um, vertically especially. So efficient last year when pushing the ball downfield. So I think they're all right. I think they've got some solid depth, and I'm sure they're probably looking to bring – defensive front talent more so than any other area but you know hey wouldn't be shocked to see them add a little little veteran from somewhere before uh camps over on the offensive side of the ball yeah i mean on offense i think that certainly makes a lot of sense uh and then defensively i kind of wanted to i guess we can breeze this into our next segment which is one burning question brought to you by our friends at the Black Eyed Susan Spice Company, uh, a great sponsor of Vibes. They sent out a couple care packages, actually. I think you have one in hand. The other Fed Hill boys have them in hand. Very exciting stuff. Thank you guys for that. Uh, I just I just ate steak and eggs. I'm, I've been eating steak and eggs every single day for lunch. And my God, the red flag, like sweet chipotle, actually really spicy. And I like I hate describing my spice tolerance because... It is high, and everyone's like, oh, yeah, you like hot sauce, you have a beard, you drink IPAs. <laughs> Which is and all very, very accurate criticism. Yes, you, I do, and I love hot sauce. And it was spicy as hell, and I loved it. So the red flag was delicious. Thank you so much to Black Eyed Susan Spices for bringing those by. Go check them out. They're, they're honestly really good. We truly try to bring on sponsors that we think are cool and local and that you guys will like so promo code uh yeah promo code exit 52 for 10 percent off your first purchase they are also uh from what i heard they were in talks uh with a certain show that might be associated with hot sauces to maybe supply them a little bit a certain very big show that has a lot of people on it uh so that would be really cool so prayers up that they uh, get that uh involvement uh or whatever it might be uh across the goal line because that'll be sick definitely don't go tag that really really popular show where they interview people on uh certain spicy things and tell them that they should bring on some black eyed susan spices definitely don't do that yeah don't do that with the paul rudd gif look at us who would have thought uh but my one burning question is who is going to be the starting edge rushers on this team and are they on this team right now because I feel like there's there's a move still to be made. And it might be a guy that's already been with this team for a while that they're just going to kind of bring back after training camp. I, I would probably put my money on that. But a couple names out there. We had the uh, Chase Young stuff. I think the veracity of that uh, quote-unquote report was maybe put into question a little bit. Um, <laughs> so, I yeah, I don't know if I totally believe that they're really sniffing around on that. Maybe they're doing their due diligence. But I don't know. What, what do you think? Uh, regarding Chase Young, like the, – they didn't pick up his option. DaCosta probably called. Like he calls. We said it a thousand times. He calls. He'll pick up the phone. It's not some. It's not some crazy thing. Like it's not some James Bond thing. He calls their GM in Washington and says, "Hey, what's up? What's going on? Okay, all right." And they could probably very well say, "Oh, we're good. We're don't even worry about that." They might say, "Yeah, sure." I, I feel like. There is a starter that's not on this team. Could be Kyle Van Noy. Could obviously be Justin Houston. Could obviously be a later addition to the trade towards the trade deadline. They have a history of doing that. They brought in Yannick Ngakwe at the deadline. They brought in, you know, they traded for a Calais Campbell. They like to make those defensive acquisitions of those veteran players, particularly at the deadline. You can throw Marcus Peters and Roquan Smith into that. I'm, they're probably going to go get an edge rusher at some point. I, I don't think we see it done yet. Um, to me, Ajabo is super exciting and was a pick that they really need to work out very much so 
It would put them in an incredible position. The familiarity, the the way that you saw Josh Ross acclimate into the preseason last year and make the team before he ends up getting hurt at inside linebacker, covered him a ton last year. Ajabo is super familiar with Mike McDonald's defense. That's going to make all of this much, 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 much easier for Ajabo. There were question marks about him against the run. When he went and played Todd Munkin's offense against Georgia in the college football playoffs this past uh, year before this past two years ago, geez, um, Ajabo got taken off the field a lot of time on first and second down because he wasn't a polished, consistent stack eye and shed run defender on the outside yet. So we have heard Harbaugh say so much, you know, you got to earn the right to rush the passer. Heard that a lot about Broderick Washington, one of the more underrated players probably in the division, if not the AFC, I think, who could definitely be in line for a huge year. But Ajabo needs to earn the right to rush the passer. Um, as of now, they don't really have anyone else to, so he might not even have to earn it. But Adafe Oe, man, him and Justin Matabike both. I'll say Matabike is a much more consistent player that, you know, it's a different position and um, freakishly athletic, both of them. Matabike much more, we'll say, consistent. But they just don't understand how to turn their wins into, like, sacks and quarterback hits, it feels like. They can beat a block, um, especially Matabike, more so than Oa. But I just want to see those guys. I hate the word instinct, but that kind of feels instinctual to a degree. Being able to win and beat my block and not just beat my block. So I don't know that those guys really have that in them. Um, you're looking at this Ravens pass rush. I mean, it's lacking, man. It, it's lacking. Sure, Ajabo could be a stud. We can we can go with that. Um, Tavius Robinson's there. We'll see. Feels like a little bit a little bit more of a developmental piece. It'll probably play a ton of special teams, see the field a good bit, maybe towards uh, you know on November. But no one scares you. They don't really have that veteran presence. Even um, bring back. I mean, just freaking sign Justin Houston. Tyus Bowser's obviously there and hurt. Love Bowser. We know what he is. He's a really solid player that can give you a little bit of pass rush. He's pretty good against the run. He is kind of like, you know, a, a, an endearing homers player that like, he's not going to probably make a pro bowl or get any national acclaim ever, but you'll look back and be like, man, I really loved Tyus Bowser, his time on the Ravens from, you know, what was he drafted? 2017, 27, I was going to say 18, 2017 through dot, dot, dot. What a good player. I like that guy. He's, like he a, was he's Jarek Johnson type to me in terms of historical uh, Yeah, kind of like that. Exactly. So nothing's scaring you. Um, that's going to do what? That's going to mean that you're going to use Roquan Smith and Patrick Queen and maybe a Trenton Simpson to rush the passer. Queen and Smith were really productive. The reason they got Roquan Smith is because he is such a dynamic blitzer. One of the many reasons, but a headlining reason, because in Mike McDonald's system, as opposed to Wink Martindale, they weaponize linebackers. McDonald relies on them to be the, the grand chess master, or Martindale, I mean, relies on them to be the grand chess master. McDonald uses them as weapons, as run, chase, hit, violent weapons. So those guys are going to be blitzing a ton to pick up the slack and also give different looks. Obviously, McDonald doesn't use five and six man and cover zero and all that we talked about last year as much as Martindale does, but he's going to simulate pressure. He's going to overload one side and have guys drop off into coverage, and that's how you generate the pressure. But at the end of the day, man, I mean, if you don't have a good four-man rush, you're probably not going to accomplish your goals. Like, you're not. That's what wins in the playoffs time and time again, getting pressure with four because you end up playing 
Mahomes and Burrow and Allen and Aaron Rodgers now and whoever the hell else, uh, Deshaun Watson, you know, say what, he's been a terrible person, but smart quarterback. Um, Got to be able to beat those guys with four and make them hold the ball longer. They will pick up your blitzes. They will pick up your pressure scheme. And I, I guess, I mean, Burrow got really frustrated. Burrow goes down with a calf injury about an hour ago, gets carted off the field. We'll see what's up with that. Um, hopefully not an Achilles or anything like that. Hopefully able to, to you know, miss a week or two or something and be fine. He did have his calf with a sleeve on it. I know that. And it was that calf that he hurt. I haven't watched the video of the injury yet, but we'll we'll get there. Not that that ends up really even meaning anything. I just like to watch. But Burrow, they put a lid on. They weren't getting beat downfield. They made him work the middle of the field, those kinds of things. So when you can do that and have someone go really, really, really apply pressure, a dominant premier pass rusher, a Daniil Hunter, a – I don't know who else would be out there, but – they need that. You need it. You need someone that's going to get double teamed, open things up, still win, still produce, and they don't have it. So I'm sure, you know, McDonald had Aiden Hutchinson and David Ajabo and at Michigan, and that was awesome for him. I'm sure he would love to go get someone. Or I, I just don't think at this – maybe we see Adafi Owe do the classic Ravens thing everyone expects, Darius Smith breakout, Matt Judon starts coming on strong. Uh, you know, it's, it's Adelius Thomas, all those names, but – I just think he's more of like an athlete than like a pass rusher in some ways. I, I like him against the run. I want, you know, I've said, I've been screaming into the void about him. I think he's been a little bit misused and miscast at this point in his career, but I don't see him being a premier player by any means. I, I feel like best case is him turning into the, like a, a C list or B list rusher that maybe, you know, flirts with and smooches that, that nine ten sack mark and that 50 pressure mark um, has dealt with injury, but yeah, need to make a move there. That's really the burning question. I think that's on everyone's mind. Are the Ravens going to be able to rush the passer? Their best pass rusher was Justin Houston. His training camp has started. He very easily could slide back in, but hasn't yet. So got to do something. I think Clowney's floating around out there. I wouldn't hate that one bit. I've, I've said that a 10 billion times. Kyle Van Noy's not really like a – he's kind of like an OA. He's kind of like, like an athlete that can rush the passer a little bit, play the run, some of those things. So Van Noy would be a nice move for depth, but – I don't anticipate anyone having a monster season as a pass rusher here. I mean, hey, Travis Jones flashed a ton last year. Maybe we see something out of him. Maybe Matabike does take that next step forward in a contract year, but haven't seen it quite yet. Yeah, no, I, I totally am with you, and I, I'm very much on the just kind of bring Houston back train at this point. I feel like with him knowing the system, that would be pretty big. And then you're looking at a pretty young defense at this point, so it would be good to get some uh, some gray hair amongst that mix, especially like you're talking about Owe, who has been around for a couple of years, but, you know, he's still pretty young. And Ojabo is kind of his running mate there. He's very young. And just not a lot of experience between those two guys. I feel like, you know, veteran leadership can be oversold a little bit to an extent, and I think it certainly has been by John Harbaugh at times. But I think Houston has shown himself to be that consummate pro, and if he's down to come back for another year – Sounds like the Ravens are doing that ring chasing thing. So this could be a really good spot for him to go and do that. Um, and yeah, I think we're both in lockstep there. As far as burning questions, we do have some big news coming across the wire. I uh, wanted to check something out here. Go ahead and hit. You work on your accent? Two and do. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. Yeah, I like it though. Yeah, so that was uh, Odell Beckham's Baltimore accent. Thoughts? I, I feel like he's been flirting with that for a while. I think he really does like it. Baltimore does have a, a very, very, very special accent here. And I uh, saw so shout out uh, Kiki, Kiki Stay Trippa, Kiki Trippa. 
getting after him, whatever his name is on uh, on Twitter. Kick kick a stay trippy. There we go. He's he's hitting the ayo two dude. Come on down zone thirty two podcast. All that good stuff. So there we go. Odell's loving Baltimore. I feel like Baltimore is such a funny place to like do the exact thing where all the veterans end up coming here on their third contract. And it's just like a quirky, weird, freaking big town. Like Baltimore is not a city. I don't care what anyone says. It's a gigantic, huge town. It's not like some skyscraper city. There's like some stupid leg mason buildings and like the facade of a city. It's a large town with a bunch of row homes for the most part. So it's a, a fun place to come settle in. And uh, we have, we've got our quirks. So there you go, OBJ. Eat your heart out. Yeah, it's good, to, really good to see him like actually embracing this place. You know, he did the the uh, Riders Up thing of the Preakness and showing some of the Orioles some love too. I, I I'm just really enjoying it so far. I w- I did not expect this in a million years. Like we talked about on Beatdown, like when they were flirting with signing him last year. I was just like, there's no fucking way like he would come to Baltimore and just like settle down. Like the guy wants to like be a celebrity still. And it turns out you can be in the age of social media. Who would have thought that? So great take by me. Uh, He's bringing his superstar nature here and also kind of quietly sort of, you know, become a little bit more patriarchal. I think he's running around with his son and talking about appreciating the moments and hashtag perspective. And it's all there. It's very nice. Very nice little character arc here for Odell. It is. And I, I don't know. I mean, go look at Steve. Like Steve Smith obviously wasn't, you know, what Odell is in, in terms of the celebrity, but kind of like in the NFL celebrity he was. He was a little bit more, you know, was, I, I don't have to explain the difference between Steve Smith and Odell to anyone who's listening to this, but it's the same thing. He just kind of come relax here, except for when he played the Panthers, Derek Mason, Anquan Bolden. You can kind of just come here and relax. So R E L A X in baltimore and have a have a day have a camp have a summer odell beckham with the platinum hair looks great what a what a star glad to see him here and man just give us give us a fucking healthy year out of odell beckham give us give us one one true shining moment with a star receiver here for everybody that's wanted it their entire lives give us give us that moment that's all we're asking football gods enough pain and suffering and wide receiver discussions and all that stuff they got Bateman, they got Sarno Dell, they got Aguilar, they you know, bring in Zay Flowers, they have Mark Andrews, they still have Duvernay. Like, just let it just let it stay at ease this season. It probably won't. That's not the way of the world. But when it was, they had Torrey Smith and Anquan Bolden and Jacoby Jones, and they win a Super Bowl. Honestly, this is a perfect uh, segue into our next segment, which is deep dives. Something we're going to do, try to do every week. We might even do whole episodes of deep dives talking about schematics and shit. You talked about getting Cole on. I think that's all very good. We wanted to touch a little bit on the disgruntled boys today. Because, like, as much as guys are happy and Odell's happy and every, the vibes are good right now, they there are a couple guys, uh, namely J.K. Dobbins and Rashad Bateman, uh, who maybe aren't quite in that camp. They're grunting. Uh, JK question is a uh, it's uh, I wish it was a simple answer you know there's always a lot of things that go into to football um, but there's some complexity to it and we're working through all that JK's working through it and I'm looking forward to when he's out there it's really hard to make a measurement like that I don't know that there's a measurement uh, I know he'll get ready he's in all the meetings mentally and doing those kind of things and then I, I also believe this about JK is he he He'll, he'll be happy when he's out there. You know, he wants to be out there, so, and uh, we both want the same thing. So that's kind of classic Harbaugh, like, and 
apologies for some of the audio there. I probably could have cut out some of the questions. A little, little bit of a loud situation there at the castle during, I'm pretty sure that was the autograph signing session uh, while the guys were meeting with the media. But classic John sort of deflecting a little bit. But he did kind of, he did do the, the John thing too where he didn't fully hedge all the way. He kind of made it clear that that's just a JK thing. You're going to have to ask JK about that. I'm not dealing with this. Dobbin's a little, you know, dissatisfied. We talked about how there's a hold-in. We've talked about how we've maybe heard a little bit that uh, he's, you know, maybe seeking a rework contract. And now there's kind of a precedent, actually, weirdly, with Saquon Barkley getting that new one-year deal. I mean, I'm sort of wondering if that's on the table. I'm sort of wondering what really is on the table for a guy who, to our point here, doesn't have a whole lot of, like, actual concrete leverage, but is a guy that you want to keep happy. So maybe you try to get to the table and figure something out. Yeah, I mean, you probably look at Saquon, who ends up getting some incentives and a signing bonus tacked on or something, and that's, I mean, that might be the resolution that was talked about on that running back Zoom meeting that had McCaffrey and all of them, and everybody, like, mocks J.K. Dobbins about it. I get it. It's just in good fun, you know, whatever. He hasn't been as box score productive as those guys or whatever, but that might have been their resolution. Like, go back to the table, see if you can get another mil, see if you can get another two mil, see if they'll throw some incentives on, whatever. And, um Sure. Like, I, I think he probably wants more money now. He probably wants something now. And I think a lot of it probably stems from the frustration of him going through that contact injury in a preseason game, tearing his ACL, tearing his entire knee, basically, working really hard to come back, gets back, knee's still not good enough, wants to be there last year. Like, is this Lamar Jackson's last year? We got to do it this year. Calais Campbell, Justin Houston, whatever. And then has to go get his knee scoped, has to go get another surgery, comes back again, rumbles, goes crazy for the five games he could play after he came back from that, including that playoff game against the Bengals, looked awesome, flipped the field for them, scored a touchdown, is pissed off. He's been pissed off about not getting the football for so long. And you can, like, the same kind of weird tension, injuries, tension, injuries weren't handled right, seems to be hanging over Bateman's head. And then I even, I mean, you lump Patrick Queen in there too. Like those are the three guys it feels like that are, you know, Bateman's not up for an extension yet. This year he he becomes eligible, I believe, but Queen was pissed off about his contract. Queen was pissed. He talked about how he was pissed. And then he decided because he plays on the defensive side of the football, not the diva offensive side of the football and said, you know what? If the Ravens are going to keep me and pay me, they probably would pay me more if I play the good soldier. If my next team is looking at me acting like a, you know, an offensive player, basically, that's not what he said. I'm putting words in his mouth. But if I act the way that they're acting, that's less attractive to your future employer than doing what you're supposed to do, being the good soldier. So that's the psyche of playing offense versus defense in my mind. But Bateman... Dobbins both clearly feel pissed about injuries being mishandled. Obviously, the whole thing comes out. Steve Saunders gets an F, the only F in the NFL report card. They fire him. There's mistrust going on of decisions and injuries and things like that. So, you know, they're just kind of the last little hanging solo cloud in a beautiful sky right now of, you know, what where's Bateman at? Bateman had a cortisone shot like days ago, apparently. So... He was not ever going to practice on time. He's dealing with an injury actively that sucks. We, the Ravens 
are the Liz Frank mag- magnets. We know so much. Jimmy Smith and Hollywood Brown, and it's the injury that stays with you forever, the gift that keeps on giving, and all that crap. So great, you know, the foot. Bateman's probably fine. Bateman's probably fine, just pissed off about his injuries. Dobbins, I don't know. He's just an angry human. He's been angry for years. He's been angry since his rookie year. He wanted the ball more. He gets the ball now, doesn't get it later, tears his knee, all that stuff. So it just kind of sucks, and I don't know what's going to happen. Like, I don't know. I might just draft Gus Edwards in fantasy a lot. We'll see. We'll see. I, they'll, they'll both be practicing in August at some point. That's that's my predicty there. This is John on Bateman. Tyus's Achilles is fine. Um, Bateman's Liz Frank surgery is good. He's fine. Uh, but with that, sometimes other areas compensate and get a little sore. And that's what we're dealing with. There are some timelines to that. I really don't want to share them right now. But they're reasonable timelines. And uh, you know, we'll be excited when they get back. Yeah, so it's just kind of, it's more boilerplate stuff, but I mean, he did sort of say that there's maybe some more stuff going on behind the scenes with the Bateman, Liz Frank, and I mean, like you mentioned how unpredictable it is and how much of an absolute bitch that injury can be, so we're just going to have to see with Bateman, but yeah, I mean, like, that's another guy who is disgruntled, I mean, I think he's made it, I wouldn't say very clear, but he's made it, uh, you know, in his little subtweet fashion kind of clear, not that I really have a problem with that, that's just how some guys operate, it's okay, but you just you got to show up and you got to if not ball out then have a damn good season and stay healthy. It's the same thing for JK. It's really all these guys can do at this point. I mean, yeah, you can you can go to the table and maybe get a Saquon Barkley deal if you're JK and I don't know, maybe you can like work into more target share if you're Bateman, but it's like at, at the end of the day like you got to stay healthy, which that's a little bit out of your control unfortunately. Um, especially with the way that these guys treat themselves. They are they are doing everything they can on that front. So it, it is out of their control when they get hurt. Don't get mad at them for getting hurt. But it's just where they're at. And it, they've just they've got a ball out this season. That's that's really all they can do. To me, JK is the epitome of the problem with running backs right now. He has been a five star since he was like seven years old. He was a ridiculous prospect. He shattered like Nike Pro. Um, oh my god, the, the opening, he shattered a vertical jump 40 time records he was insane in high school he breaks his leg comes back he's completely fine goes to ohio state jk dobbins and a lot of running backs probably could play in the like Bijan robinson easily could have played in the nfl as a freshman like freshman sophomore I, I think especially relative to other positions running backs could be playing in the nfl at 18 19 years old they're usually a running back because in peewee you can't really no one can throw the ball far but there's usually a kid that matured quickly and is a monster and you just put the ball in their hand and they're faster, they're stronger, they have spatial awareness, they're better. Then they get the technical refinement or they don't. Sometimes those kids just fizzle out, they don't keep maturing physically, whatever. JK did. He kept getting stronger and faster. Then goes to Ohio State, shatters Ohio State rushing records, runs for what, 1900, 1850, his sophomore, redshirt sophomore year, whatever it was, probably could have been in the NFL. So instead you're like putting the wear and tear on your body that gets held against you. Even for draft prospects, like, oh, he Jonathan Taylor had too many carries at Wisconsin. Jonathan Taylor, another one. You know, he got drafted right around where, you know, a little bit higher than JK, not too much higher, but it's like, all right, they got their NFL payday. That's cool. Cut that in half with taxes. It's still a lot of money. Pay out your agent, pay out your manager, pay, buy your mom's mortgage. Still a lot of money. Great life. It's fine. But as opposed to other players, by the time they get to the precipice of being paid in that third, fourth year of their rookie contract, the production gets held against them. If you produced, you have too much mileage. If you didn't, like Dobbins, then you haven't produced. So why should I pay you? Even though I think that's, 
I think that's what fans think. I feel like in the NFL, you get paid for what you're going to do. And that's why we, why the, why the hell did the Jaguars pay Christian Kirk so much money? Cause they had a vision for Christian Kirk. Sometimes it ends up being Albert Hainsworth, whatever. They don't hit every time, but pay guys for what they're going to do. So I think that one maybe isn't as much of a factor, but JK's the poster boy. He could have been getting paid in the NFL to run the football probably like four years ago or five years ago as like an 18 or 19 year old. That's how big of a monster he was. Jonathan Taylor fits into that. Uh, the kid that just transferred out of Wisconsin, whose name is escaping my mind. He was 17 years old running for 100, 250 yards in the Big Ten. Like backs are ready quickly. They usually are guys that matured faster and they're pissed because it's a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation. Oh, I had a thousand. Najee Harris is going to have had what two thousand touches between Alabama and the, his Steelers rookie contract. No one's going to want to pay him. When you do, it, like that's what happened with Todd Gurley. They gave him a monster contract, and his body was beaten down to the bone by the time that happened. He had arthritis in his knee. You know, Taylor already has a big injury, misses time. He's pissed off. Dalvin Cook gets a big contract and gets that cut out from under him very quickly. I mean, you can look at CMC and Henry and Chubb and some of those guys that have produced really well. Like the Bengals paid Mixon quite a bit of money, which was kind of weird. I don't then Mixon's always been like a very solid back, but they paid him, you know, top five money is what it is. But I don't know. It's just a rock and a hard place. And I think JK is one of the poster boys right now for the the tough shelf life of a running back. And like I said, the fact that he's probably like, oh my God, I tore up the NFL as soon as they started giving me the football my rookie year. I probably could have done this a year or two earlier, even, and I'm not going to get paid like the fourth like the fourth wide receiver on the freaking Raiders or whatever, Will, who touches the ball one one-hundredth of the amount of times I do and won't ever have an impact like I do, but it's the nature of how the CBA set them up right now. So I did like Dominique Foxworth's proposition in terms of running backs, like they have the incentive bonus pool money. Like if a fifth round pick ends up starting 14 games, they get like 450 K to compensate them for what they did. Uh, from what he described, that pool has grown up to $330 million that's sitting there. So uh, then we have Jim Ursay, your boy stepping in basically saying, fuck you. The CBA is not like we already did the CBA. It's not up yet. We're not going back to the table. Fuck you, Jonathan Taylor, basically. So now Jonathan Taylor's agents going on a tirade as we're as we're recording this right now as agents like flipping out so it's a mess running back is a mess right now jk dobbins is right in the crux of that and then the irony is that you just have gus edwards he was a udfa he was a four-star fullback goes to freaking rutgers like ends up running for a thousand yards one season snaps in with lamar jackson in 2018 goes crazy also is super efficient also works really hard but just is quiet about it got a very small contract and you never hear him complain once. So I think that's why a lot of fans are upset with J.K. Dobbins. He's been more vocal, uh, probably feels like he has more prestige and is supposed to say things like that, Mr. Five-Star, Mr. Ohio State, versus the four-star fullback UDFA, who, you know, produces really well. I love Gus Edwards. He's a solid-ass back. Also, tore his ACL. Yeah. You know? Yeah, so. it's tough. Give the, give, give the more money on the rookie contracts, a little bit more money, all of it guaranteed, and then give them a two-year player option that basically works like the non-exclusive franchise tag. After two years, if you say, okay, I want to hit free agency now, I'm going to do this, and then somebody wants to pay you, cool. Your team can match, cool. Everyone happy? I mean, it probably wouldn't work perfectly, I know, but that's kind of what I was thinking. Like when I, I heard feel like backs never, for some reason, backs always get big extensions, but like never paid. 
Yeah, like, like they'll get, get free agent money. It's they'll very get, weird. Yeah, they'll get like a four year extension, but it's like it amounts to like half of what maybe they'd get on the open market. And they're maybe they're just willing to accept it because it's more money up front, uh, you know, compared to it's very the, risk, like the, the good ba- the backs that end up getting the big deals are never it's never in free agency. I feel like it's very peculiar. Yeah. So like maybe you could say like to counteract your point about the wear and tear, it's like, okay, well, this guy's produced for two years, three years, whatever you want to make that option thing. Like he's still got some tread on the tires. Let's go try and do this thing. And then the team gets the option to match and everyone's, you know, probably not everyone's going to be happy for sure, but it's something. It is something. So I don't know. I feel like they're kind of just a little bit screwed until they're at the mercy of their ownership and GM and the front office basically until the next CBA. And good thing they just reelected Demory Smith, who the owners were like high fiving and hooting and hollering about. Basically, like he's on our side, not the players. So it's uh, it's a rock and a hard place for running backs, and that's where J.K. Dobbins is. But like you said, the one thing he can't really do this year is not have a good year. Like has to have a good year. He's not going to get paid as much if he doesn't. So I think he'll show up. He'll play. He'll he'll get it over with. There must be some level of like some sort of negotiation going on, I would think, if he's like coming to practice and standing there and so on and so forth. So I don't know. He's definitely a a very uh, teed up guy right now that is Henri. He runs Henri. He seems Henri with the situation. And uh, we'll see him in August. He'll be practicing in August. That's my my thoughts on that. No doubt. Want to get into some listener questions. Let's do it. From Kevin, we have, do you guys prefer Aqua or Haunted House? I actually want to go to Haunted House more than I want to go to Aqua. Yeah, I heard that deck at, uh, at Aqua is not doing so great. No doubt. Uh, Raven's Burner, can we get a Rusillo monologue about the J.K. Dobbins situation? I love Rusillo. I've been listening to a lot of Rusillo lately. Just the, the arguing with himself, um, it's quite something. Um, okay, so you've got a guy, good young guy, I get that. He's making some demands here. And when you're talking about demands, one thing has to become clear right away. Like, what's the market? And when you talk about Dobbins' market, I, I'm just going to be honest here. I'm, I'm not seeing much of one. And then you'd ask why. And I'd say, well, let's just look at the facts. And the facts are this. He's played in 23 of a possible 51 games, lesser years. And then you'd say, okay, well, it's actually about 50 because the league expanded schedules a few years ago. And I'd say, okay, well, fine. It's one game. And then you say, yeah, well, he's looked really good when he has played. And I'd say, yeah, I get that. I agree. And when I sat down the other night to take notes on this, I saw he had a 5.9 career yards per attempt, and that's awesome. But that guy doesn't show up for work. And if I didn't show up for work back when I was working the construction site on Martha's Vineyard back in 2002, and I demanded more money, my boss would be like, wait, what? And then he'll have like, wow. I was sitting sitting down to eat an ice cream cone, and I thought this ice cream cone actually reminds me a lot of J.K. Dobbins' current situation. Like he'll have he'll like lead in with those, and then he'll like go on some weird little story about himself. Priscilla's a great guy. He is. He uh, the the 2002 connection is good. He he told a great story about how 2002 was the worst year of his life once that I really enjoyed, and I think about a lot. Him and him and Titus, whenever they go on the PMT Evergreen episodes, they just they just both can absolutely like degrade themselves. They do, and it's all in good fun. Good for those guys. So, yeah, that's my Russillo monologue that I definitely didn't write down. Uh, Thomas, prediction on how the cornerback room shakes out. Uh, Marlin at one, Rockison at two. What happens at that? Another veteran addition. Maybe like maybe they re-sign Kyle Fuller, I think, but I don't know if he would slot in as the three immediately. I kind of feel like it, I feel like they love Brandon Stevens, and like they kind of want to make that a thing. 
and I'm kind of leaning that way right now. Yeah, I think that Brandon Stevens seems like he's played more on the left side. Marlins usually always on the right side. Rocky Sin does primarily play on the left side. And I feel like Stevens Stevens ends up being the right side backup. Jalen Armour Davis, I feel like played on the left more, ends up being the left side backup. And then you've got Trayvon Mullen, who I think just got put on the pup list, if I'm not mistaken. He's out. Um, they bring in Arthur Mollett is my guess on how to say his name. I, I can't remember it even being said out loud. Who Mollet, Mollet. Yeah, I've, I literally hadn't heard of him. Mollett is my guess. M-A-U-L-E-T. Uh, from Pittsburgh, slot corner guy. Hasn't, you know, gotten high PFF grades, whatever. I, I'd be remiss to say I have, like, some opinion on the way he plays football. But special teamer. Um, I mean, Kyle Blue Kelly maybe ends up being a fit here. But it's just it's hard out here for these rookie, these rookie pimps in this cornerback street. So I don't know. It, it feels like, again, those are the two missing pieces. Another, another corner and another pass rusher. We know that the Ravens can never have enough corners. And the fastest way to decompose this defense is to take Marlon Humphrey out of it. So with that, they need Jalen Armour Davis, I think, to take a major step forward. Brandon Stevens, like I love his ability in actual trail tech man coverage. In other words, like letting the receiver kind of get into their route and then just trailing them and mirroring them and and playing through the catch point that always looked really sharp i want to see him take a step forward in off zone and being able to to recognize routes underneath drive on the football things like that super physical obviously can tackle all of those things so brandon stevens has as much ability to like cement himself into a role maybe he's like anyone on this defense I'm looking around here. I mean, we've got Geno Stone, Kyle Hamilton. They're going to get, you know, Kyle Hamilton's going to start. Stone's going to play a bunch. Travis Jones already played a bunch. Brent Urban's going to play. Justin Matabike. Like, uh, when I look around this defense, I, I would guess maybe Trenton Simpson, Jalen Armour Davis, Tavius Robinson. Those are the guys that, like, have an opportunity. But I feel like Brandon Stevens really has an opportunity to turn in a, a – second contract here go get paid somewhere else or here or something if he can slot in find those packages he's gonna play like again he's gonna play i'm not expecting humphrey and yasin to play 34 games you, it's it's crazy to ever expect that from any any tandem at any position so he's gonna play and has a chance to prove that he can do more than just kind of that trail tech situation and want to see him be better impressed man you know he, he is a fantastic athlete for sure haven't really seen him been able to get his eyes on the ball much and that's where he needs to take a step forward this season um in that cornerback development he's had a couple years here they, they bounce him around some safety translates some of that just in terms of recognizing routes and reading the quarterback a little bit but it is much different uh what you're recognizing what your keys are and stuff at the corner position so physical can blitz all that stuff brand stevens looking at him to uh to take a huge step forward jalen armor davis i liked his bama tape i really did um not someone uh, we we heard a really eloquent Marlon Humphrey. Uh, let me see if I can find it. Quote about what he's working on, and he was talking about how he really wants to be able to. The two things he ended up pointing out were that he wants to win in the first five yards of press man, get back to really basically beating the crap out of receivers at the line of scrimmage, winning at the line of scrimmage, and how he wants to be able to stop with anyone. That's like. The most simple way of encompassing such a large percentage of what corners do 
especially in man coverage, is stopping, like throttling down faster than a receiver does because they, of course, have the advantage of knowing when they're going to. So the stopping aspect, especially being able to stop and move laterally, is what lacked a lot on Jalen Armour Davis's tape coming out. And to underscore the importance on that, like all the highlights you've been seeing of Zay Flowers recently, like look how quickly he gets in and out of breaks and whatever exactly. it might be. Exactly. Like, it's, it's very important. The throttling down is very important. Uh, so that's what we need to see Jalen Armour Davis improve at. We want to see Brandon Stevens get smarter, quicker, get more opportunities in zone. Jalen Armour Davis hopefully has been able to, to work on that throttling and the technique to be able to keep your weight under you enough to sit down and then move laterally out of it. That's a huge step for him. And then shit, man, Kyle Blue Kelly was a huge recruit, had a really good, I think, sophomore season at Stanford, has a ton of production a little bit, ends up kind of just getting put out to dry against like all the really good receivers that Stanford played against and not having a ton of help there and having really high expectations. So he's got a shot too. So, I mean, I would think Brandon Stevens gets first first rights to, to a ton of snaps. I think they I feel like they love him. I feel like they love Brandon Stevens. They're like, yeah, he'll move over here. He'll play here. He doesn't complain. He's physical. He's a great special teamer. So I think he'll get all the, the opportunity. Ardarius Washington's gonna be in that nickel, that nickel combo. I, I feel like he could potentially end up playing a ton this year. They've kept him around for a reason. They keep Geno Stone around for a lot for they've kept Geno Stone around around for a reason they bring him back after he went to houston uh, so those guys washington and stone i feel like play stone of course is going to play a good bit like hamilton's going to be weaponized to a degree still i would think and then that brings in stone so I'll, I'll never forget stone baiting tom brady that'll be my that's the the highlight of his career for me he picked up he was the last interception big ben threw and then baited the shit out of tom brady on third down in tampa last year and it was awesome so um if you go search my Twitter feed and search Geno Stone bait Brady, it'll, it'll probably come up. But, yeah, those guys have a chance. Corner is a weird spot. No doubt. Uh, Mark Horton, rapid fire. What new offensive schematic element do you want to see? Do you see the Ravens as primarily stretch or power run team under Monken with current personnel? Is 12 our best personnel grouping? Even if we are pass heavy, can you review year one of Mike McDonald? So I guess we can do – let's do the last couple parts of that. I mean, like – it depends on Rashad Bateman's health to me because like if he's healthy, I'm good with going 11 and just saying, let's get these three guys out there. And obviously not the entire game, but like for way more stretches than we've seen them do recently. And I don't know, like I still like the idea of running a lot of 12 when you have the talent that they do with a Mark Andrews, with Isaiah likely with Charlie Kohler, like you drafted these guys to run that a lot. Um, I, I would think so anyway, and especially with the talent that likely has shown. So yeah, I mean, You've got way more depth at receiver, but all it takes is one injury and you're back to running a lot more of that. But I would prefer to see more 11. I do want to see more three wide receiver sets out there. I do want to see you space things out a little bit because I think like as much as we think of it as, okay, 12 is the formation that you're going to run out of. You're going to hit the play action out of, at least in the way that this offense has run recently. I don't know. I kind of like the idea of spreading it out and like doing more gun runs and opening up space. And I feel like a guy like J.K. Dobbins, and we've even seen Gus do this a little bit. I feel like those guys can maybe get an advantage with a spread out defense and with a running start. So that's kind of what I want to see a little bit more of. It doesn't have to be full commitment one way or the other, but I don't know, just a little more diversity. For sure. I uh, think that it's going to be a lot more zone oriented. Again, I'm curious to see how much man gap stuff they retain. 
regarding Munkin. Munkin is going to spread it out more. They are going to, I think, I like, I love 12 still. I love 12, especially when Odell doesn't have an ACL and Bateman does have a foot. And, you know, Zay Flowers, you're going to want to ease in a little bit. You've got a healthy rotation of those guys. They'll still, still 13, 22, that stuff's not going to be super prevalent, especially outside of power situations or goal to go situations. Those third and fourth and two or shorters, um, ultimately, but. It would be kind of sick if it did, if they just completely zagged, like, all the way, like, to the run. They're just like, you know, we hired this guy, and we're going to run it even more. Like, just wait. It was just literally Greg Roman, except they just get to the, like, line sooner. Yeah. <laughs> they probably will. Like, that's kind of what Munkin does. Like, that's what he did at Georgia a little bit. He was a part of – he wasn't Cleveland's play caller, but they went big boy ball a ton. Um, so I think they'll be variable. They'll just be super variable. I think they just want to present issues for defenses a little bit more so and be adaptable week to week than maybe Roman trying to kind of make you stop them. I think that's, that's the biggest difference. I feel like between Roman and Munkin Munkin is more of the counter striker and Roman is more of a infantry. We're going to fucking line up and do what we do. And you need to figure it out. And that's what leads to the, the chaos of the pre-snap Roman versus Munkin being like, all right, we're going to hit you fast. And we know where we're going to hit you. We're going to tailor this to you a little bit more. So, um, so with that, I can't remember what else, what other question there was, maybe something about McDonald. Yeah, it was, um, sorry, let me look this up. It was, can you review year one of Mike McDonald? Learned a lot. Um, a lot of communication on the back end needed. And again, the, the biggest things for me, he's Dean P he's the love child of Dean Pease and Wink Martindale. If I saw it links to child and on my on my uh the day of my birthday party for my 30th birthday he, he still plays there. out there huh he does he still live around here oh, he owns a house there yeah he, he yeah, lives on that course yeah that's and where he, he used to he play. was sitting there yeah. in the clubhouse with like five other dudes that looked just like him not just like him but his was it, age and was stuff it the there. uh was it the wilkins boys <laughs> <laughs> those wilkins boys um but anyway yeah mcdonald's a love child the things that he does more than the difference between him and wink like i said he simulates pressure like Dave Aranda more than he does rush five or six. So he blitzes from multiple positions like Wink did, but it's not actually blitzing. It's just overloading and sending four. And then vision to the football for DBs. He wanted the DBs to be able to pick the ball off instead of play through the catch point a ton. Um, it's still a lot of the same games, deception, late rotations, uh, the, the two high versus single high usage, I honestly don't think was like crazy different. Uh, the numbers don't say so either a little bit. I feel like the numbers say a little bit more than I thought it was, or it felt like, but it's, it's smart football. It's being smart defensively. Like we said, the linebackers are weapons. You're looking to create mismatches a little bit on the front through some, I feel like maybe they don't stunt quite as much as wink did as opposed to, like I said, simulating pressure. Um, I watched a clinic that Mike McDonald did. I paid like a hundred bucks for it to watch a, an hour long clinic of him. And it was just about simulating pressure. She got up. And, <laughs> and all of it, all of it was just confusing the running back, confusing the quarterback, making the running back step the wrong way in pass pro and getting a free rusher, like making quarterbacks hold the ball a tick longer and doing so while not sending five or six quite as much. So uh, some fun stuff in that. I, I've posted some videos and stuff on that, but I love what I've seen out of Mike McDonald. I, I love the guy. He just re he reminds me of Harbaugh. He kind of looks like Harbaugh lightly, like the silhouette of him looks like Harbaugh. He's a little Harbaugh clone. 
And uh, I think he's a, a very smart, well-spoken, relatable young mind that the players seem to love. And he's got Anthony Weaver and a bunch of stud coaches. He got brought in Chuck Smith, the pass rush doctor. The big quote of Chuck Smith was, you'll know Adafi Owe's signature move after this year. And fingers crossed, we want that long arm bull rush to be it. You're not going to like this, but there's some McVay vibes there too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's East Coast. It's East Coast brunette McVay. McVay's from Georgia, though. So. Yeah, he was. He went to the Marist School in Atlanta. I think he uh, he he has some East Coast vibes to him. He's 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 McVay's gone Hollywood. McDonald still still is an East Coast. McDonald is McVay if he stayed in his hometown. McDonald married a Ravens cheerleader. He did. Yeah, that was before he came here. Or no, he was here. Yeah, he was here. He was yeah. here. Yeah, I guess it was, okay. Well, it was before he became coordinator. He was yeah, he was coaching here. McDonald's sick. Yes, we need to get him on here. Oh, I'd love that. He's a fun way of talking. You can tell he 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 likes to get a little. You can tell he's a regular guy that gets a little twisted with things. Just People a regular. Yeah, he seems like a, a beer drinking kind of guy. Like just, oh yeah, Chris Chris Basur, Coach uh, Coach Vass that I've I've gone on his show and uh, stuff like that. They're they're pretty close and. He, he, Christmas sir told me this. I don't think he'd be mad. It's been years now, but McDonald was installing Wink's pressure packages for him while he was still here with Wink. So it was still the man. Like it again. It's it's one and the same. They just Wink does the mullet Under Armour Jordan wearing thing more and likes to do the cover zero. He he's got a little bit of that Greg Williams to him. Martindale's old and gray and goes Greg Williams and. McDonald's still young and cute and shiny and likes to uh, be a little bit more smart and uh, reserved in that approach. Yeah, it's uh, that's an interesting dynamic there. But yeah, I think they're uh, they're in a good spot with him for sure. To uh, to all the all the points you made. Uh, why Melvin Gordon is Kenyon Drake still a free agent? Gordon Drake's a really good power gap rusher. Gordon's a better zone runner. Gordon's better in pass pro. Eh, Drake's okay in pass pro. And I guess they just wanted someone to fumble the football for them because that's what Melvin Gordon does. Yeah, that's it's just it it's completely head scratching me. I have no idea. Like and they I know they uh they had had him for a visit or something like that uh, earlier in the offseason. They've had their eye on him, so whatever. Like go and make the move. It's not going to be that consequential one way or the other, I don't think, but like with the fumbling stuff and the not having played a lot of football in the last couple of years stuff and the injury stuff, it's kind of like what are, what are we doing here? I, I don't know. So, yeah, we, the, the answer to that question, Jarvi at Ravenbagger 3, is we don't know. Uh, Stuart Shock, great to see you back. What was the most nauseating slash irritating narrative of the offseason? This was low-key kind of an irritating offseason because the extension didn't happen until, like, halfway through, which is easy to forget. So that happened, like, at the end of, like, the cycle of, like, the heavy stuff. Oh, yeah. It was we the uh, we were right, as you say, on the golf course. I don't think the heavy stuff is going to hit us quite yet. We were right in the middle of that heavy stuff. And then, they, and then it cleared up. It did. So I don't know. Like, I can't even think about that anymore because it's so far gone in my brain. Like, I was so ready for it to be over, and then it ended, and so I don't care. I, I'd say the thing that pisses – like, I think the thing that pisses me off is that people pretend, like, J.K. Dobbins isn't, like, a high-impact player. Like, he is one of the best – every time he's on the field, he's one of the best football players in the field. Yeah, I been, mean, like, like I, I totally agree with that. That's another thing. And that's – we're very much seeing that right now, people underrating him a little bit. Uh, and I don't know. It's just give the guys respect. A every single time he is on the football field, every time he touches the football, I feel like he does something good. I don't know. Like, he had a he had a drop in 2020 in the playoffs, I think. But, like, other than that, like, 
especially with what he was doing on that, you know, banged up knee last year that uh, should have been touchdown run against the Steelers comes to mind, like where he's just shrugging guys off and he's keeping his like one leg straight, um, which was uh, just a, a wild thing to see. Like the guy's just uh, the guy's a dog and I don't want people to lose sight of that. Definitely. I, I concur. I think that's the, the one that annoyed me the most for sure. Darius Kraft, Barbie, or Oppenheimer? I haven't seen Barbie. I don't know if you have either. You gave me your two-letter review of Oppenheimer the other night, which was eh. No, 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 no. Don't, don't go putting words in my mouth. That wasn't my review of Oppenheimer. You posted 10 out of 10. Yeah, which is I my said, review. Yeah. Eh. I said eh to that. It was very good. I liked it. Um, I liked it a lot. I thought, Spoiler alert, spoiler yeah, alert. Yeah, spoilers for Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer. Stop listening right now. Skip forward five minutes or just stop listening because you're over an hour in. And we're almost This done. is our last question, yeah. So so to me, Oppenheimer, the, I loved, what I loved about it was that it wasn't just about the fucking bomb. That it was about the McCarthy trials, the Red Scare. It was much more about that. Um, I enjoyed much of the scientific community's bravado and greed being put on display i thought that was a super interesting narrative i don't know it just uh, like uh, i liked it a lot i just i didn't feel like i have to go see it again immediately or anything like that i don't know it just didn't, that's fair yeah it they, didn't speak to it didn't speak to me to the point where i was like holy shit the bomb was cool like i think that being a biopic and focusing on like something that you know is coming to to, to that degree like i think is always going to be a little deflating in a sense I thought, and people were complaining, saying that they thought they wish it was CGI instead of a real explosion. Like, I don't fucking care. Um, well, I think the they stupid- did the right thing in that they didn't totally structure it around that. That, like, and we are deep in spoiler territory. That comes like two hours into the movie. There's another whole hour after that. It's really structured. That was around- my favorite part of the movie was yeah. that there was another hour after all of that. Yeah, it's really structured around like the uh, his hearing to uh, get his security clearance back, and then the uh, the um, hearing centered around uh, Levi Strauss, I think his name was, or Louis Strauss. Yeah. Um, Strauss, who, yeah. Yeah, was trying to, I think, get into the Senate or something like that. And yeah, I he mean, was like trying to be, he was trying to get on the a committee, the head, the head of a committee i believe yeah and um and then they did the uh the marvel like shout out to jfk for like striking it which was that was a little over the top i thought but like yeah no i can like i can definitely understand some of the nitpicks with it but it just fucking it blew me away like it reminded me and maybe this is where my love for it is coming in it just it's the most social network movie i've seen since the social network which is like a top five favorite movie of mine so in what way why do you liken it to the social network because it's structured right it's really a courtroom drama it's not just like you think like you hear the social network and you're like oh this is how facebook got built no it's really about who mark zuckerberg is as a person and yeah, why. yeah i agree with that the greed yeah exactly the greed was really the central theme of the movie i think greed and like the desperation for uh credit and yeah his the, lack of his lack of conviction in anything like he can't commit to a relationship he can't commit to being a communist he can't commit to oh i actually want to build the bomb then he builds the bomb it's like oh wait no we probably shouldn't have done it. he's just like and then emily blunt who people are criticizing her for not being in the movie enough which i think is kind of dumb because she has the line of the movie where it's like you can't commit sin and then expect people to feel sorry for you which is like he does that in his relationships when the florence Pugh character once again spoilers you know uh commit suicide and then when the uh he basically does it again with the bomb, which I think is a little bit more understandable. But uh, yeah, complicated guy that that J. Robert Oppenheimer. I didn't really. I kind of went in cold as far as researching him a ton, and I, I came away really impressed with the breadth of the uh, character itself. I, you know, I'm not super impressed with him as a person. I think there was some uh, some issues that he was dealing with that were laid out very very uh, very well in the movie, and I thought Killian Murphy absolutely killed it. So. 
Kelly Murphy was outstanding. Um, it was kind of funny the way that they just would bring in a new A-list celebrity every like 30 <laughs> minutes exactly pace. That kind of like took me out a little. Maybe it was a little yeah, there was some whiplash there for sure. It was like, holy yeah, shit. Yeah, it kind of like, took me out a little bit at times. Josh, Josh fucking Peck. Uh, he was fine. They were fine. Press but the button. I, I liked it. It it was it, it had the pacing of it like it had Nolan pacing. It of course it kind of feels a little like Interstellar just in the side the science realm a little and and kind of the depth of the dialogue into like fast paced dialogue over a long movie gets hard to stick with really fully. And I was also with people that, when I saw it that were like, I could tell that they weren't quite as into it. That's an too. issue. So that I went, was like, yeah, I that went, was distracting me a touch. I went by myself. I shut my phone off and I got a large popcorn and a large high noon. And I was like, I, am I got fun. a jumbo popcorn. Why the, I, this is, this is my takeaway from seeing Oppenheimer. You've never thought to yourself, I wish I had more popcorn at the movie theater. Yeah, yeah. Don't so I ever get a jumbo popcorn. I, I overinvested. I should have gotten medium. I, I probably had a, I got the, left. I got the biggest one they had and it was for two people. And I wasn't even, and I was trying to muscle it down halfway through. Like I was like, I'm gonna fucking see if I can make a dent in this. Don't do that. I Get saved the, uh, I saved the high noon because I didn't want to have to go take a piss either. So I probably, I probably had like a third of that left. I probably have like a disease. I like I can just not piss for four hours at a time. Like I easily. It might be a disease, but if it is, sign me up for that disease because I, I, that's literally one of my phobias with going to the movies. Is like I, I don't, I don't be pissing. I do not be pissing often. Yeah, it's tough. So yeah, I drink a lot of water. But I digress. So now that we've we all right, we're off the rails. We're back. The jumbo set. We're fucking back, baby. Fully, fully off the rails there, as we love to go. So if you were missing us, I think you just got us in ten out of ten. Jake and Spencer, jumbo set fashion. We're back, baby. We're fired up. So that was our our little mailbag session. I really want to turn this. My vision for the jumbo set is more segments and games that i want us to be able to get into Mm. i'm not i'm not sure what they are quite yet but if there's a segment if there's a game that you like that you think we'd like you know us if you've been listening to us for a while let me know we want we want to i just really very good competitive i've always been super competitive i'm it's not even competitive games i just want to get into some fun segments some fun games things like that i don't know yeah, it keeps us reined into. We're only at like an hour and twenty here, which is you know probably on the shorter side for us when we we really get fired up. Definitely. So that was the first episode of the Jumbo Set, presented by Jimmy Seafood through the Exit Fifty Two channel. We hope that you'll stay with us. You can find us on YouTube if you want to see our beautiful blue eyes and our ugly faces, and you can find us anywhere. Hopefully. Uh, tell tell your friends we're back baby jake and spencer are back brian will be popping in here all the time i'm sure taylor will be in here we'll be getting guests in we'll be getting all that good stuff cole will join us soon we're i think eric Eric has made it expressly clear he will not be in here so thank god i don't i don't need to i don't like i don't want to talk i don't care to talk we whenever we talk football with eric we have to talk about the titans just because he's i don't care i don't care about your titans eric i just don't yeah and to to all the people on twitter that are uh complaining about it being a titans fan on a baltimore podcast you've gotten your wish here Exactly. He's he's dead. The, the, he is excluded from the jumbo set. We'll have him on for the Ravens Titans London game only. And Maybe. then when they inevitably meet in the wild card round after the Ravens have gone ten and seven after a slate of injuries, and you know the Titans are starting Will Levis or whatever, and they somehow got into the wild card round too. We'll we'll have him on for that. Yep. Maybe if he's lucky. Okay. 
that's all we got then. Yeah. Thank you to Jimmy's Famous Seafood. Thank you to Black Ed Susan Spice Company. Thank you to Fed Thrill as well. Uh, you can use XM52 for 10% off at uh, Fed Thrill and at uh, Black Eyed Susan Spice Co. And then go to Jimmy's Seafood as well. They've always got cool events going on. Check out their website for stuff like that. Sometimes they involve uh, members of our team, usually Eric. Sometimes uh, we'll, we'll get in the mix and get, get out there as well. So... A lot of cool stuff going on within the XF52 network. This is just one of many things. Also out on the airwaves today, season in between episode three. Check that out. Uh, give it a listen. It's been a fun little uh, passion project of mine that I've been bringing to life over the last couple of weeks uh, at long last. So that's that's actually close to wrapping up here. We got one more episode to go, and then we are full bore into training camp that comes out the uh, day before the first preseason game. So we're back. We are, uh, we are deep into football, and uh, it's going to stay this way for – another half year or so. So get excited. Thank you guys for listening. We will talk to you again very soon. See you. Arrivederci. Execute the system, and that's what it's all about. Yes, there sir. Trust. He's pretty big, big trust. trust. Big, big trust. trust baby. Hey, yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> right on cue. Hey, right on cue. Hey, I, let me.